This morning I want to look at what are called the Beatitudes out of Matthew chapter 5. Um, this is from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the larger blocks of his teaching. It was early on in his ministry. And um, one of the things that I wanted to point out is that what's stated in the Beatitudes is really counterintuitive thinking. You know, it's the kind of thing that if you just assume you're going to get it right, it's not going to happen. Um, that's, that's me and hand clapping during music. Uh, I, my family makes me stop, you know, and, and now it's amazing that I can dance so well and, uh, you know, whatever. Um, but there are times, you know, when you just assume that a, something will go one way and it doesn't. You know, have you ever gone to find somebody's house and it's not where you think it should be? You know, it's, you just know that you can get there, but you may even have to look at a map if you're a woman. You know, no, <laughs> guys wouldn't use a map. You know, <laughs> just, that would just be wrong, right? Uh, yeah, my family still tells the story of me having to stop for directions one time. Where uh, I, I really was on the right path. I just didn't trust myself enough. But... Uh, <laughs> Let's go to the scripture. Um, at the end of his teaching in this particular passage, there's a, a, a note about uh, the broad path and the narrow path, and it kind of illustrates what I'm wanting to get across before we walk into these verses. It says, go through the narrow gate. The gate to destruction is wide. The road that leads there is easy to follow. A lot of people go through that gate, but the gate to life is very narrow. The road that leads there is hard to follow, and only a few people find it. So this is Jesus teaching, and he's saying, most people don't figure this out. Likes that point, doesn't he? No. Um, but there's just a, Jesus is making this declaration that in our natural man, in our selfish nature, that when we choose to do things regularly, we make poor choices in regard to the kingdom of God. And so it's very important that we really truly evaluate things in light of His presence and His desires if we say that we're going to step into this path. And we have to recognize that regularly, we're going to make choices that are kind of in that broad path or wide path unless the voice of God is speaking to our hearts, unless we're willing to listen to his, his method and ways of doing things. And so when we walk through this particular passage, it, it, sounds, it sounds like what is, everything's opposite, is, is, so to speak, in this particular passage. God blesses, or uh, some translations will go, he makes happy, that idea of bless. So God blesses those people who depend only on him. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. That's a contemporary English version. And what I've done with these particular verses, I've put the contemporary English first, and then I've put the English standard version below that. The reason being, the one is, is a, a paraphrase, the contemporary English version, 
in some ways, it does the interpreting for you and says, this, this is what he's saying or what, what it means and, and bypasses the specific wording. Well, that, that works as long as it gets the interpretation proper. Now, if, it's, if you read something that's more literal, you're getting the wording, but you aren't necessarily getting the interpretation, so you've got to wrestle that through a bit. And, and so that's the tension that Bible translators walk through, and quite honestly, they do so much better than the rest of us, it's better just to see what they've got to say. You know, that we can pick up a few translations, and somewhere along the line, you're going to get a pretty good handle on what's being said, if you've got an open mind to hear, right? And, and so in this particular passage, you know, he says, uh, you know, people that depend fully on God, that, that's a really valuable thing. But uh, the other is the poor in spirit. That's what I grew up hearing all the time. And, you know, that, that poverty idea, none of us picks poorness, right, in any setting. Um, you know, it's, I, I haven't heard any of you come up to me and say, God created me to be poor. I've heard some of you come up and say, God made me to be rich, you know. But to, to just say, you know what, I, that wealth thing, <laughs> Don't have any interest in that. Just, uh, you know, I just want to barely skate by in life. That's not us. But what he's saying is, if we recognize the poverty of spirit that we have, so to speak, if we recognize our need of God, if we recognize what salvation really is about, we recognize that we can't get there on our own, but we've got to have his sustaining power and his salvation power come and help us. And so it's a good thing, in a sense, to recognize there's a poverty about my life that won't pull me out of this pit except that somebody come and assist me. Unless God comes and provides a way out for this, I'm not going anywhere. And so when we, when we come to that awareness of the poverty that we're in, so to speak, it's only then that the door can be opened up for us to be brought into the true wealth of His Spirit. So blessed are the poor in spirit. In that, we have to ask even what is of real value? What is really important about life? You know, regularly Jesus was saying, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why was he saying that? Because it's so easy to get distracted if everything's going well. But, you know, what we have to understand is it's not just the wealth or poverty, but it's, it's coming to that awareness that I need a Savior. I need someone to set me free of my sin. I need a power from God to assist me in understanding what life really is about and to give me the strength to make the choices that I know are appropriate. In a sense, it's coming to that awareness that this is what life is about. And he's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The second one, God blesses those people who grieve, they'll find comfort. Again, Happy are those who are grieving? It's counterintuitive, right? 
But in some ways, it's like, if I come to a grief over, let's, let's hit this at a couple levels. If I come to a grief over the wickedness that's a part of my life, it's only then that I can start to find a release and a peace that takes me away from that. If I come to terms with how depraved my mind is in some areas, it's only then that I begin to find a help and a hope that takes me away from that. Isn't it true that regularly we deceive ourselves and we kind of walk in this path, saying, it's good, it's okay. No, is that the best? No, it's not, but it's, I'll, I'll get by this. It's amazing to me that things that I've put off for years and, and set aside and said, no, that's, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm living for God, I've dedicated my life to Him, I don't necessarily need to deal with every facet of life. And yet, even now, he keeps bringing things to me and saying, uh, we're going to tweak this thing. And I'm going, you know what? I'm quite a ways along in this thing. There's only a few years left. Let's just, let's just skip it. We'll get it in eternity. And somehow that's not satisfactory to him. You know, and, and, I can, and I can look at it, and I, when we're in conversation, I'll decrease the number of years that I really want to live, but it's just, it's not that big a deal, God. And he's going, it's time. You've, you've put this off for long enough. So coming to that grief that says, even though I've learned to live with this and even though I've allowed it to abide in me for all this time, I don't like it. There's a grief over it. There's, some, there's not, a, this isn't health. And when we come to terms with that, then there's an opportunity to turn and truly make change. That's one facet of this. The other, I, I truly believe, is that those who are going through the griefs of life or are in a place of sorrow have an opportunity to call upon the Lord and find relief. That He truly has compassion for those that are, are grieving. That he, it's in His nature to reach out and to comfort that understand. And so we find that he is a compassionate God that understands our sorrows and our griefs and is willing to intervene. And it's a wonderful thing to call out and say, this is so messed up and I don't even know how to straighten it. I don't even know what's going to take place. And to be able to trust him and say, you will guide me through this. These, these passages, Jesus isn't just coming from, from no basis of, of the Old Testament, but actually regularly the prophets were calling out today or something new or something in the, the way that God deals with people so that we get glimpses of this even in the Old Testament. Out of, out of Isaiah chapter 61, listen to this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the Lord's favor in the day of vengeance of our God. So he says there's a multifaceted thing that's going to take place. He says, 
It's a day of favor for those that, that are recognizing their need. It's a day of vengeance for those that have lived in their pride and, and their self-will. Uh, but he says, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beauty, beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. One of the reasons I like this particular thing, because it, it actually links the temporal with Zion with the eternal Zion that will be. And, and so it's like a, a linking of this life, but also the life to come. And it's saying, this is who that we, we are worshiping. This is the message of Jesus. This is the message of our God. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news. And that's what he brings to us. Let's move on. God blesses those who are humble. The earth will belong to them. Again, a counterintuitive thing. If you don't do it for yourself, who's going to do it? It's kind of the approach that we take to life. And often it's what's presented to us. If we don't grab it, who's going to get it for us? If we don't seize it, who, you know, somebody else will get it. And yet this is a declaration that it's the humble that are going to inherit the earth. And so, again, it's, it's this understanding of using power for good. It's a recognition of true authority and saying, I'm under his umbrella. That's a, you know, living under another's authority is a, it's a mixed bag, right? Because they have the right to say what happens, but at the same time, we come under their protection. And so when we, when we humble ourselves before the Lord, we're saying, I bow to you. I submit to your way. But at the same time, there's this acknowledgement that he cares about my life and understands it better than I do. And so that there's an opportunity for benefit to come to me even though I'm submitting to another. And so in that way, we humble ourselves before the Lord and he lifts us up. Contrasting that with our selfish demands that say, give me, let me have, do this for me. A humbling of our lives that says, he will care for me better than I would care for myself. Verse 6, God blesses those who want to obey him more than eat or drink. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Again, the counterintuitive. Fasting to eat of the Lord. Yeah, it's still, it's a mystery to me. But it's that idea of if I passionately pursue him and if I have this thirst for him, I will attain. He's not going to withhold from me. If the bent of my life is toward him, he is going to respond to that. He will not turn me away. This is the beauty of Scripture. It's not a God who says, well, you tried hard, but it's not good enough. Or, you know, you did your best, but you just didn't figure it out. Too bad. It's like the older brother playing with the younger brother, right? Oh, did I change the rules? <laughs> Sorry. Guess you didn't know. 
I was an older brother. I know how it works. It was a beautiful thing while it lasted. No, there's, there's a wickedness in us that comes out in that kind of thing, right? But it's completely wrong to associate that with our God because he is caring all the time. He's compassionate. And so when we hunger and thirst for him, he is not going to deny us that meal in him. He's going to teach us what is righteous. He's going to help us value what's important. 2 Corinthians, Paul makes this declaration. He says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a powerful idea that our lives are made righteous in him through his sacrifice. Verse 7, God blesses those who are merciful. They will be treated with mercy. That verse, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Regularly, Jesus presents it. He says, if you're merciful to others, I will show you mercy. And so there's this idea that's conveyed to us that if we're willing to live in a, in a one manner, God will treat us in that same way. And so it's, a, it's one of those moments where you're going, oh, okay. You know, it's, I guess I better respond to this. It's like when I'm piling up a list of why I shouldn't forgive someone, they wronged me. They knew better. They were only looking out for themselves. They have done this over and over. You know, and I, and I'm, and I go through a whole litany of things. And then I, at some point I realize, yeah, this is the same approach that when I'm going to God and saying, forgive me, but you've done that a lot of times. Yeah. You knew what you were doing when you walked into it. Yeah. You know, you, <laughs> this was completely intentional and willful. Yeah. But I'm still asking forgiveness. And, and so it's, it's like, on a natural level, it's like, if I recognize that's my attitude when I go to God asking forgiveness, and that's what he asks of me, it really doesn't give me much room to hang on to anger or bitterness, right? We, you know, we grow up kind of feeling like we got it together, and we can really be proud about how we forgave someone. And then he brings us into marriage where we're dealing with someone every day. God help us. Because every day there's something, right? For the other, sorry. Never you, dear. (laughs) Or then, you know, we we start to get a a handle on, on that, and then kids come along. And they're willful from, from day one. They're selfish. They want it their way. And you're going, Lord, how did that come from me? You know? But it's, you know, it's, it's just, that's the reality of life. 
That selfishness is so much a part of us in our natural person, so to speak, that only in God can we begin to unravel that and and really to release things as they should be. And the beauty of it is, is that when we do actually practice this, the quality of relationship really goes up a notch. And and actually, it, it works out that things start to, to function together. And, and sometimes it's almost as if others have been waiting for us to, to take a step, and then they respond. You're kind of going, I never anticipated being at peace with this person. Never anticipated getting, I never anticipated even being friends. But Jesus is saying, don't just assume that because you've embraced the claims of the kingdom that everything is just the way it should be because a lot of this is counterintuitive. And when it comes to showing mercy, it's a good idea. Listen to this out of Psalms. With the merciful, you show yourselves merciful. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. With the crooked, you make yourself tortuous. With the bent, you don't get it straight. You save the humble people, but with those with haughty eyes, you bring down. Again, the Old Testament had captured some of these ideas. Jesus is bringing it into the full definition. God blesses those people whose hearts are pure. They will see him. Heaven is a place of purity. God is a pure being, doesn't associate with the unholy. So how do we get there and how do we see him? You know, that's a, in the Old Testament, there was a fair amount of time spent on that. You know, the fear that if a person actually saw God, they'd die. And Moses walks through it and he says, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. Remember that interaction with the Lord, that, that dialogue. God says, I'll show you my glory, but I'm going to shield you because you're not up to it. So that, that promise that Jesus is throwing out there is that if you're willing to allow yourself to be purified, there's opportunity to actually see God. What a powerful thing. What a wondrous thing. The psalmist says, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, I may, that I may dwell in his house all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire of his temple. I'm not just a poor reader. If I've memorized this in one translation and I'm trying to read another, it's messed up. (laughs) That's what I'm blaming my reading on. Whether that's accurate or not, you'll have to sort out for yourself. Verse 9, God blesses those who make peace. They will be called his children. Blessed are the peacemakers. God's son was a peacemaker, right? When Jesus came to earth, he made peace for us. He calls us into a similar thing. Calls us to be peacemakers. 
when an argument's been going on for a while and both sides are feeling wounded, who's going to stop the fight? Who's going to say, even though I'm not getting in the last word, even though I think they're in the wrong, even though I'm disgusted with what they've done, who's going to stop the mayhem? And we have to come to terms with that in the Lord and saying, true wisdom makes peace. True wisdom is for peace. And so even though in the moment I feel cheated and mistreated, it's up to me to stop this fight. Nasty, huh? <laughs> I mean, uh, there's something about us that just wants to win. Or just in us that just says, I want justice. And that means that you need to recognize what you've done. And yet somehow it's got to be broken. I had Years ago I was chewing on this and, and I... An illustration that came to mind was this idea that, you know, if, if I were to take a punch at you, say, that, say when you leave the kids at home alone for a little while, and, you know, the siblings start to mix it up, and one takes a punch at the other and bloodies their nose, well, the other can't do that, so they take a swing back or get a stick, and, you know, if they're smaller, and, you know, there's, there's a black eye, and then, you know, there's, it goes on, and it gets worse, and there's scratching and biting, and, you know, all the things that kids do. When mom and dad come home, and the kids are going, it's, it's okay, we worked it out. And the parents are going, it's not okay. You've got bruises, you've got scratch marks, you've been clawed up, you know. This isn't right. Can you imagine God bringing us all in and, and going, you're missing an arm. Yeah, yeah, but it's okay. I, I, I shot them, you know, and it's, you know, it's all good. That's a bad illustration for this week, isn't it? Sorry. But you know what I'm saying? If we're all walking in wounded, that's not how he created us to be. So how do you stop the mayhem? And somewhere along the line, it comes to peacemaking. And God, who is in separation with his creation, steps in and makes the sacrifice for us. And so when he calls us into a similar lifestyle, it's not something that he's been unwilling to do, but it's something he's already done. James gets into this in a little more depth, and I want to read out of chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, 
but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Now listen to his definition of holy wisdom. Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So he's making this declaration, if you are truly a person of wisdom, which we'd like to pride ourselves in, right? If you truly have godly wisdom, it's not just exerting your will over someone else and saying, this is what's right, get in line. It's not just making this declaration of, you know, you need to stop. But it's looking for a way to bring peace into a setting. It's finding a way of accomplishing peace. That requires more wisdom than what we normally want or even look for, right? But it's the holy standard that Jesus was calling us to through this passage. Finally, in the 10th verse, God blesses those who are treated badly for doing right. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. Humanity was birthed in spiritual conflict. Satan was already around, right? There had already been a battle going on. And so, even with Adam and Eve, there were sides drawn. There was a fight going on. And so, when, when they stepped into sin, it wasn't as if, oh, this is brand new. This was just brought into humanity. When you and I were brought into this world, we were conceived into a world that is warring and already in fracture. And so when we come to this place in Christ and we accept Christ and we say, okay, your kingdom is the kingdom that I want to pursue, it shouldn't seem very unusual to us or strange that we would be birthed into a fight. That we would be birthed into something where there's going to be sides drawn. That there's going to be a conflict that encounters us that even though we aren't necessarily looking for a fight, there are going to be things happening to our lives that are going badly and we're going, I don't get it. I don't know why, why this happened. You were born into it. Our leader starting out was crucified. That should give us some clue. The early church flourished through persecution, but they did not step into this fullness without others saying, this is nuts and you're wrong and, and you're gonna, you need to pay the price for this. If that's our heritage, we should not assume that we're going to escape all of that even now. It's ridiculous. We have been very blessed to, in some ways, live within a, a microcosm of, of humanity that has had very little persecution. There's been a window in this place 
that has been very limited, and, and, but it shouldn't surprise us if things go wrong. It shouldn't surprise us if, if maybe a neighbor just says, I don't like you. I don't like what you believe. What you're doing is nuts, and, and you know, I'm working against this. That doesn't mean you have the right to disassociate or quit loving or quit looking for peace or quit doing your best to love them. You were born into this. And it's appropriate that you give a godly response even though you may not be in a pleasant situation. He goes on though, he says, God will bless you when people insult you and mistreat you and tell all kinds of evil lies about you because of me. You, you can't assume that there's even a desire for truth in what's being stated about you. That's a hard one to swallow, isn't it? Seems unfair. He says, be happy and excited. You will have a great reward in heaven. So he says, if you walk through this appropriately, he says, there's an eternal reward in store for you. So he's, he's not saying everything's going to be just wonderful right now, but he says, you're investing in something that's bigger than today. But he also says, people did these same things to the prophets who lived long ago. He says, this, this has a long history. So just be aware. Don't let it overwhelm you. Just know that this is part of this season until eternity. Well, in walking through that, or these verses, I think, if anything, I, just, I, I want us to be aware that there's a need to be calling out to God on a daily basis and saying, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to approach this thing? Because in the natural man, we don't always make those good choices. We're self-serving and selfish. That's, that's our nature. Except that it be transformed by God. But as we submit to him, his spirit comes in and actually brings character change. He, he transforms the heart. He allows us to love those who don't love us. He allows us to make peace. He allows us to, to see the wretchedness of our sin and, and actually be transformed and, and brought out of it. It's a wondrous thing. Happy are those who humble themselves before God. Lord, as, we, as you taught and as we've looked at these passages, we pray that you'll bring to heart things that you would like to transform in our lives, specific things that you would like to take away. If it's a pattern of sinfulness, then we submit that to you and say, remove that from me. Teach me to live differently. If it's a, a need to extend mercy or to work for peace, we ask that you'll give us the patience and wisdom to see that done in you. 
Lord, if it's enduring insult or lies or, or mistreatment for your kingdom, well, then we ask that you will help us to do it in full awareness of your goodness. Thank you that we can trust you in all things. Amen. I want to pray for God's blessing upon you. Um, this is open-ended worship. If you would like prayer this morning, it's easiest if you come forward. But just or find someone that you trust and ask them to pray with you. Some of these things are worked through through the help of others. Uh, when James says, confess your faults one to another that you might be healed, I'm convinced that there are patterns of sin that aren't broken, except that we humble ourselves and ask others to pray with us or work with us. And, and I think that's partly designed by God to bring us into community and weld our lives together. And so it's a, it's a good thing. It's just humbling to have to admit that I've got a problem and, and I need help. But the beauty is there's hope and healing as we yield to his call that way. So I just, I put that out to you and uh, we'll pray now. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they discover with joy what it is to live a counterintuitive life in the fullness of the principles that work for eternity and the power of your kingdom. Ask, Lord, as each one goes into the community that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural today. Be lifted up and exalted. We love you this day.